Welcome back to another mini episode of Till I Say It Out Loud. I'm Audrey. I've had a like weird allergy <laughs> like week this week. <laughs> so my voice is going to sound a little, maybe a little stuffy, a little deeper, a little scratchier than it has before. But just bear with me as I discuss a few interesting things that have happened this week. As I have done in the past, I'm going to try to talk about the heavier stuff and some of the political, like more politically driven stuff early. So if you want to skip past the boring stuff or the heavy stuff at the beginning, you can and you can just skip to the fun stuff. The first thing I want to mention is the shooting at the Chiefs parade. The Super Bowl parade happened just like, I think it was like a day ago. I'm recording this on Friday the 16th. And I try not to pay much attention to news like this because I used to immerse myself in news like this and it absolutely decimated my mental health. And since I am a teacher in a public school, mass shootings especially really frighten me because like... I'm waving my hands generally (laughs) at everything. So it's hard for me to talk about gun violence because I feel it's very much a part of my regular life, having to constantly know that I need to be prepared for a lockdown situation and have regular drills in my classroom and have been through a few actual real lockdown situations and scenarios that thankfully have always turned out to be okay, but it's just like, it's really, it's a lot. It's one part, one of the reasons I'm on Lexapro is because of the gun violence in this country <laughs> and why, and my constant fear, you know, of just existing in a place that doesn't protect us. But I feel like I can't not touch on this shooting this week because it's, it plays into so much of the other stuff I've talked about on other mini episodes because it's connected to the Super Bowl. And I am going to talk about the Super Bowl this week. So I just need to touch on, I just need to touch on it for a second. It's tragic. I know that there were at minimum 10 victims and that one person has been killed. I know that the most recent articles are discussing that juveniles, like young people, people who are considered children, I think they're calling them juveniles, have been charged in the mass shooting. So there were multiple people who had guns. I also read this morning that apparently the GOP in Missouri had just passed or maybe blocked I can't uh, a law. It was e- either way, they either blocked the law or they passed a law that would allow minors to open carry, which is terrifying. <laughs> so, obviously these people um had their guns legally because it was it would it would have been legal to open carry at this event and specifically for even young for juveniles as they're calling them to have guns and open carry these guns so they did i watched a video of two men without guns tackle one of the gunmen down and of course so many so many people made the comments like obviously there were 800 police officers there who were all armed and not one of them was able to take down the gunmen before people were killed 
but an unarmed man was able to. And so the whole good guy with a gun theory continues to never play out. It just continues to never actually be the solution that all these people who don't want gun regulations want to pretend that it is. So anyways, somebody made a comment the other day, or not the other day, obviously recently in the in the last few, like day and a half since this happened, that this is the place that we're supposed to be hosting international teams for the World Cup. And people have been responding and saying, I don't feel safe. Like, how do Americans feel safe? I don't want to go there. I would feel terrified. And I, and again, this was on Twitter. So some of the pe- people are tweeting like, well, we don't feel safe. Like, that's the thing is like, we just learn to live in a constant state of understanding that at any moment we could die and no one's going to do a damn thing about it. I especially feel that way <laughs> as a school teacher. Um, you know, it's just, it's tough. It's just tough. And you hope that the things you have in in place to protect you can protect you. But we see time and time again, no one's protecting us. So the only thing I can con- I can even conceive of maybe making change one day, because loss of life is never going to do it in this country, because this country does not care about life. Um, they don't care about quality of life. They don't care about saving life. They care about money. And so when people started pointing out that, you know, we're going to have the World Cup here, if people, if other countries start pulling out of that because they're like, I don't want to go to America because the gun violence there is so terrifying. And look what happened at the Super Bowl event. If it starts hurting America's dollars, maybe then, maybe then we'll see some change just so that we can host other countries for an international event like the world cup and make money you know it that might be the only thing i can imagine you know making an impact but my heart goes out to the victims i read that taylor swift bless her heart donated a hundred thousand dollars to i think the one victim who passed away like her family i hope that it remains true that only one person has died so far from that shooting I just wish we lived in a place where we didn't even have to have a conversation about this, but I'm certain it will not be the last, unfortunately. Another semi like heavy thing, but I think is fun because we're Donald Trump haters in this house, (laughs) is actually uh, some updates legally from this week. I think today, again, I'm recording this on Friday and... Donald Trump has just been ordered to pay, I think it was around $350 million in like, like fees for fraud. And he's been banned from doing any business at all in New York City for the next three years. So that's really fun. (laughs) I just feel like it's, it's wading through an entire presidency well, waiting through an entire campaign, so like a year before his presidency, and then through four years of his presidency, and seeing no consequences for some of the most heinous things I've ever seen a person do in the public eye, and people like gleefully like embracing like the misogyny and the racism and the xenophobia, and just the lies, like the blatant lies, um, finally kind of seeing it play out in 
the legal sense and know that he has to pay up even if maybe he can't (laughs) Um, and maybe he'll misuse his campaign funds to do it. Who knows where he's going to get the money, but it's good to see on paper that this is happening. Also, Fannie Willis has been, I guess, cross-examined this week. They're saying that she has a conflict of interest overseeing the case for election fraud, election, like trying to steal the election. And they're trying to say because she has connections, I think she might have dated one of the prosecutors at some point in her past, that she has a conflict of interest. So they've been like grilling her this week. And it's like, it's one of those things where... It's shocking to see that it's like the defense of Donald Trump in the same breath as they will say that this very small amount of money a man may have spent on Fannie Willis, the judge in this situation, on a date years ago is corrupt. In the same breath, they'll also say that like the absolute obvious insane crimes that we've watched Donald Trump commit cannot be held within the idea of corruption because of this, this, and this technicality. It's like, you can't have it both ways. Like, if you're going to hold Fannie Willis to, like, the smallest amount, like, how much did he pay for your meal on this date years ago, but you're not going to hold President Trump to any standard at all, in any regard that can be equal to even that small amount of, of accountability as you want to hold Miss Willis. It's like, it's insane. It's just the hypocrisy is, is so crazy. So she really shut that guy down at one point. She was like, you guys, you'll have to look up the clip. There's a few clips from her testimony that are really funny and you can just tell she's done. But she's like, I'm not on trial. And as much as you want to make me on trial, I won't be on trial these these men are on trial for trying to steal an election so say like ask me whatever question you want but like leave me alone and they've also asked her things like how much money like did did he ever like in total did he spend on you these things you know having to do with like dating or whatever i don't know and she was just like uh, uh, a man is a companion. Like I did not go out with him because I wanted him to purchase me dinner. Like she, she said something like when you go out with a man, you need to have at minimum 200 of your own dollars in case it goes wrong and you have to take yourself somewhere else. (laughs) Like she just shut them down. She's wonderful. A few tweets about the situation that I thought were funny. I have two from Mark Elliott and one from Tristan Snell. It says, it just points out the hypocrisy of this court. And it says, if Fannie Willis had a conflict of interest because a man might have paid for a meal or a flight, imagine how serious it would be if a Supreme Court justice heard cases related to an election his wife had tried to overturn. And that's from Mark Elliott. Another from him says, if Fannie Willis had a conflict of interest because a man might have paid for a plane ticket, imagine how serious it would be if a formal, former president's son-in-law got $2 billion after overlooking the murder of an American citizen. Both of those things have happened. Both of those things were within the GOP party and so of course those things are being overlooked they don't have a lot of scrutiny for those things oh but a black woman wants to hold a gop person accountable god let's get the microscope out my the last favorite tweet i'll read that's i think is really funny says sure go ahead and grill fanny willis about paying for a hundred dollar dinner as long as we also grill 
Clarence Thomas about not paying for a $500,000 vacation dozens of times for decades. So that was the one from Tristan. And I just find it to be really, I don't know, I'm going to say like cathartic to watch this play out because we waited so long, or I have at least, for accountability and consequences. And while I don't all, I don't really have faith a lot of this is going to stick because I've just watched so many people skirt by doing terrible things the last few years with little to no consequences at all, it's good to see it happening at least that we can maybe see something really at minimum make Donald Trump feel really uncomfortable <laughs> and really mad. <laughs> That's the heaviest stuff I'm going to talk about, the real world stuff. I'm going to get into some more like lighter, fair, more fun topics to talk about, some more frivolous stuff so we can kind of relax a little bit here at the end of the week. It's kind of a bad, it's kind of bad of me to be posting my weekly recaps <laughs> on Saturdays because all the biggest events the last few weeks have been happening on Sundays. And so I, I feel like I'm an eternity behind when I'm recapping things. But like the Super Bowl happened this week and I feel even though it happened five days ago, it still feels like forever ago considering how much has happened since then. But the Super Bowl happened last week. I I enjoyed it. I think some people said they felt like it was boring. I did not feel that way. I mean, if you're if you're watching first there to be like a lot of scoring, I guess it was not that interesting at first. And uh the Chiefs didn't even score until the last few seconds of the first half. But I had fun. I thought it was I thought it was pretty interesting. And of course, as a millennial, I was I was looking forward to the Usher halftime show. I tried not to have any expectations, but to get to see Usher get his moment and get the Super Bowl looking so good and doing such a great job. He was getting like super sweaty, but he looked incredible. You could tell he was just born to be on stage. It made me feel really happy. I was excited to see the guests that he might bring on. And it didn't even occur to me that he could maybe bring on Ludacris. I don't know why. Of course he was going to bring on Ludacris. But I was every single TikTok compilation of like mid 30s, mid to late 30s people reacting to Ludacris reveal I was every single one of those clips that you might have seen this week. I was yelling and I was just like singing ludicrous. Well, I was rapping, but it doesn't sound like rapping when I do it because I'm really embarrassing. But I was <laughs> rapping along with ludicrous. It was so much fun. It was so exciting to also just like go online and see everybody who felt like me. <laughs> like freaking out all caps lock typing into Twitter and then like the reaction videos on TikTok it was very cute it felt like a very fun community communal community reaction and so I really enjoyed it I just loved the the halftime show for that maybe the nostalgia is really what drove it for me I was listening to a few other podcasts of my maybe like younger hosts and because I forget I'm not young anymore <laughs> I'm I forget that and so I think I'm cool and I I listen to these younger podcasters and they're like 
oh yeah, Usher was going to be on. Well, that's kind of boring. And I was like, what? And then I think back, I'm like, oh, Usher's been around for 25 years. And I'm like listening to these young podcasters like who were like weren't around when Usher debuted or, or you know, were babies, you know? And so then I think, dang, there's like, I don't get to decide what's cool anymore, which I am going to talk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on this a little bit more later because I had a like, moment this week in one of my classes and so we'll touch on this gen z thing later oh sorry i'm getting i'm getting love is blind updates from friends which i also am going to touch on but all that to say i was super happy for the usher of it all and i feel like maybe the nostalgia really drove drove it for us he was on roller skates at one point y'all like for me a person who tried to learn how to roller skate and still cannot and would die if she were ever on stage on roller skates to watch this 45-year-old man performing and dancing on roller skates. I was like in awe. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so when I hear you like younger people be like, oh, it was kind of boring. I'm like, dang. But I think there is a lot to be said about the feeling of nostalgia because I do think that Usher did great. But and I like don't think that my nostalgia blinded me to any of his flaws I don't think he had any flaws but I do think there's something to be said for how special it was to have that to have that nostalgia to follow me into that performance the biggest news obviously of the whole night the Verizon Beyonce commercial where at the end Beyonce she says okay drop the new music and I I popped Corey, my my boyfriend, on the shoulder and I go, oh my God, is she dropping new music? At the end of the commercial, which is full of uh, opportunities that she's trying to break the internet, she's like, okay, fine, drop the new music, like as a joke, as a way to break the internet. But she does it in a way where everyone watching was probably, we were all like, wait, what? Is there music? Is there music? And the... Millennial panic <laughs> at that moment, like the Beyonce, be the beehive panic that f probably flooded across the nation was palpable because we all went to our music apps, we went to her website, we went to her Twitter, like we were like, whoa, so is there music? And we went to each other, like, did you see music? Did you see music? And it was a very fun, chaotic, confusing five to 15 minutes before finally things started popping up. And so it's like the it aired, that commercial aired, whoever's in charge of like pushing out her stuff, like push the buttons or whatever. And it all uploaded and like populated at different times. And so people on title were like, there's a new album and there's new songs and the people on like her website were like, she's got her stuff on her website. We just saw new pictures. And then I'm seeing stuff on Twitter at different times that I'm seeing stuff on Instagram. One of my friends on Instagram messaged me and was like, it's on Spotify now. And I was like, ah! and so I went on Spotify and I could only find one of the singles and her, her other single I had to search by name because it wasn't populating like on her actual Spotify page. Anyways, it was so much fun. Um, I love that kind of stuff. I love when everyone can kind of have a moment where we experience that together. It's kind of how Twitter uses used to be like I don't know like years ago like like obviously before Elon Musk took it and ruined it and made it into 
this cesspool that it is now. But like when we were watching things together and we were like hashtag live tweeting or, you know, just it's just it was just so much fun. And so finally, when we got to the music, I just muted the Super Bowl because Corey Corey was watching it because I wanted to watch it he's not into that so he I don't even know if he noticed he just knew I was like scrambling to (laughs) to find stuff on the internet and so then we listened through both of the songs and like the two singles are gorgeous obviously Texas Hold'em is exciting to me as a Texas person a Texas Beyonce fan I'm I'm eternally proud that she came from us and uh, 16 Carriages is gorgeous. And so I'm just very excited about this. It is country and it it is sublime. There were Beyonce Beehive members with the theory because Beyonce said that Renaissance was act one of a three-part project that she's been working on for years. And I was, I didn't realize that I I knew we had act one of Renaissance, but I, I guess I didn't, I didn't realize that act one meant that, um, that there was going to be three different albums, maybe of different genres. I guess I was just expecting more like act two being more Renaissance esque stuff. So it was really interesting to read about this theory. And apparently people have been theorizing that Beyonce is going to be dropping a country album with act two. And their theory for act three is a rock and roll album, which I would die for. Like Beyonce doing rock music would be amazing. Uh, But anyways, with this dropping and it's coming out March 29th and it's a country album, everyone's kind of like, oh, I think this means that the theory is true. I think this means that she's reclaiming genres of music that were created by by black people, by the black community, and then were like hijacked and rebranded as white, like house music, which is Renaissance, country, which is act two, and whatever her third might be. And I think it's a great guess that it will be rock. So I'm excited, like, oh. Uh, a rock album from Beyonce would just be incredible. And it made me rewatch Beyonce's performance of Daddy Lessons with the chicks on, I think, the CMAs. And I just remember people being so pissy about that when it happened. And I remember, like, I don't remember which dude it was. It was some obviously white, straight, male, racist, asshole musician at the time who was like, we don't need... country music doesn't need to be validated by other types of genres we don't need people like Beyonce to validate us and like come sing on our show to make it cool like we're already cool and it was like that's not what she was doing she's not like doing y'all a favor being like don't worry I'll come and make your show cool like she was singing her song daddy lessons which is on her album lemonade (laughs) and is a country song like she was just singing a country song at a country music award with a country music act like the chicks have always been country so I don't know if if you've never seen that performance I can't imagine that I'm just speaking to anyone who hasn't seen that performance but it is so so good I highly encourage everyone to go look at it I think it's from 2017 and they also do a mashup with a chick song too for a second and it's just great also Matthew McConaughey is in the audience 
of that performance and he's into it and it's pretty funny. But anyways, Beyonce has always been country. She is from Texas. She can do whatever she wants. And I'm just glad that she's deciding to do this. (laughs) I love anything that makes like uptight, white, racist people uncomfortable. All that to say, that was the highlight for me of the Super Bowl. I did think the second half of the Super Bowl was super fun. When the Chiefs, because I was texting my dad at the time, um, because I was just like, dang, the Chiefs are making like stupid mistakes. They keep getting penalties. It's just, uh, it's this is, this is crazy. And then the tides really turned in the second half. And I was like, whoa. And he was like, yeah, the Chiefs always come back. <laughs> and he was right, man. I was not ready for how well the second half was going to go for them. For them to tie it up in the fourth quarter, you know, that, that was so impressive to me. I just haven't really enjoyed football in so long. And I, you know, I grew up around football. I grew, my dad was a football coach my whole life until I was in high school. And then he, he switched over so that he could support me in my sports when I was in high school, like a good dad. But before that, every Friday night lights was my life. And I was in it. My dad was the coach and I was into football. So I used to love to watch football and I just went through years of not enjoying it. It's hard in Dallas because we're Cowboy fans. So I st- I really backed away from football a long time ago for that reason. Also, it's just a toxic environment. There's so much toxic masculinity, or at least traditionally there has been. And there were so many disgusting men who were domestic abusers, rapists, just getting away with shit that I was just like, this is disgusting. Like, I'm so sick of this. And so I really just stopped watching. The fact that they blacklisted Colin Kaepernick for kneeling during the national anthem, but oftentimes men who get arrested for domestic abuse or accused credibly of rape or whatever, get like a slap on the wrist. Like that's the backwards bullshit that I couldn't come back from for a long time. And so the Taylor Swift effect isn't just like, oh, I like her. She sings pretty songs, so I'm going to watch her boyfriend. I did not, I did not like that she was dating an NFL player at first. I didn't know who Travis Kelsey was. I didn't know he was already a Super Bowl champion. I didn't know he was one of the greatest tight ends in the league and especially like possibly of all time. Didn't know. And it's because I chose not to know about those things because I don't trust the NFL. I don't believe in the NFL's like morality. Like it's just, it's hard for me to watch that and be like, oh, this game is great, but at what cost, you know? And so when it comes down to it, I, it took me a long time to get into Travis Kelsey and realizing he, he's a, he's, he's a good, he seems like a good guy. And then when I got to know his brother, Jason, and that he too was in the NFL, and he's, a, he's an especially good guy. And, it, and just like getting to, to know what they stand on, that, that Travis Kelsey is a spokesperson for Pfizer, and specifically that he was one of the first white NFL players to all join in on taking the knee with people like Colin Kaepernick at the time. That really meant a lot to me because I was like, oh, okay, well, I didn't know guys like this were out there, like trying to stand on business in this way. Like, that's cool. And it kind of softened me to the idea of like, 
like watching the game again. Like I know it's like a really low bar and it doesn't make it okay in my eyes. And it's it's not like I'm going to watch like all the games now. But I felt like I could sit and actually enjoy the soap the Super Bowl in a way I couldn't in a long time because because I felt like I could trust these guys. Like there were good guys is what it helped me understand. And that there were good guys who could stand for things that I believed in and against things that I don't believe in. And I will say this too, like there is something to be said for young men and young girls to see soft hearted men in a masculine profession being kind and being being sensitive, like being emotional. And I don't mean emotional in the way that Travis was yelling at Andy Reid. And I will talk about that in a second. But I mean, if if anyone has ever listened to Travis and Jason's podcast, they are very uh, open and vulnerable and Jason has cried on mic and Travis has been there to support him and I've very rarely if ever caught you know, caught some toxic masculinity um coming from from these these men and I feel like that is what the new standard should be for an athlete it shouldn't be these guys who get away with beating their girlfriends or just have to sit out a few games because they get caught beating their girlfriends. <laughs> like they should be guys that are held to a standard like like Travis Kelsey is being held to. He yelled at his coach at the at, at, during the Super Bowl. He yelled at Andy Reid and he almost not, he, he got in his face and people are kind of on his case about it. And you know what? I think people should be on his case about it. I don't think there should be excuses for that. And I understand, like, I'm grateful for the discourse coming out of that. Because I feel like this is the standard we need to set for these men. They, oh, it's not, it's not, you know, they're not just a competitor. You know, oh, he's just very competitive. Those are the things that are coming out. Say, oh, he's very competitive. And that's Andy Reid said. He's such a competitor. I understood where he was coming from. And he, he regrets it. And he, I understand it, but he's such a competitor. That isn't, that's not good enough to me. I appreciate Travis Kelsey apologizing publicly and being like, I should never have done that. That's not okay. Because it, it should that we should be questioning that kind of behavior. We shouldn't be excusing it. And I really love that we're at a point where we're talking about it, this kind of thing instead of being like, oh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is credibly accused of raping two women, but he's, you know, the quarterback in the in the in the Super Bowl and people are cheering and it's fine and we're just going to move on like I'm glad that not only are we glad Travis is the is a good kind of guy who would never do those horrible things but we're also still kind of coming at him a little bit when he crosses that that line into toxic masculinity and that he's taking responsibility like he's he's not cop he's not gonna do this cop out thing where he'd be like whatever man caught up in the moment you know I I don't know I just like where it's at um, in a way that I didn't think I could ever, I would ever see. And it's not good enough yet. And it doesn't make up for the racism and it doesn't make up for all the systemic bullshit that is part of the NFL. But it, it's something good. It's an improvement that I didn't expect. And so I'm going to just name it because for what I see. And I like, I like that it's, we're at that point. As for Taylor Swift, you guys know I love her. 
I love her. I loved her hair at the show. I wish I knew how to do that to my ponytail. I, she's, she looked adorable. Loved her outfit. She looked gorgeous. Flew all the way from Japan. Um, they were adorable at the end, being excited together. All of the footage of them like celebrating was adorable. And when he, there was a clip of, of them at a party and one of her songs, a remix came on and he sang it at her and she had, she was caught like on a mic saying it was the most romantic thing that's ever happened to her. <laughs> I love that for her. You know, I feel like that kind of speaks to the kind of treatment she's been used to accepting, which is a bar much lower than she is deserving. And I feel that way about lots of women. I think it's great to hear that she finally got a moment like that and she's getting to feel that maybe for the first time with that comment, I believe it's maybe for the first time ever, she's with a man who makes her fame not feel like a burden, but like who she is is not, it's not something to date her in spite of her stardom, but like he's proud of her and she doesn't have to be small. She gets to be Taylor Swift and he is excited about that and he wants to like gas her up and like riz her up in front of everybody and serenade her with her her own song like it's just very sweet and I hope she never settles for less ever again whether she's with Travis forever or she moves on I hope she only ever looks for this kind of energy in the future because we that's what we deserve that's what we deserve ladies Anyways, let's move on to the last few things I want to talk about. Earlier, I said I wanted to touch on the Gen Z millennial thing. And so here's the thing that like triggered that for me this week. So I realized how old I am now when I listened to my seniors, my seniors, the oldest students that exist in high school, (laughs) try to like figure out who Angelina Jolie is. <laughs> they were trying to guess. They were like, oh, I think she's in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. What was her name? I think her first name's Angelina. Uh, I can't think of her last name. And I was like, Jolie? And they were like, that's her. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm so old. Like, <laughs> it used to be in my day, not one person could be alive nearby and not know the name of Angelina Jolie. But now (laughs) I live in a world where there's an entire generation of young people who she's, she's, she's old like me. (laughs) She's in an older generation, like an older vernacular of understanding, I guess. You know what I mean? Like I was just like, wow, I'm so out of touch. This used to be what I understood as common knowledge and it just isn't anymore there's a whole level beneath what I understand a new layer that I don't that I don't know what is common knowledge for them and I think it's really I can see now why generational resentment can begin because so far like millennials we've always been the young people and when you're the young people you get to decide what is cool and now we're not the young people like Gen Z is the, they're the young people. And so they're where we were and they're telling us, okay, no, that's not cool actually anymore because they're the young people deciding what's cool. 
And we're like, girl, we invented you. Like, we're like, wait, (laughs) because no one notifies you when you're no longer in that position. Like, you just have to learn it. And I think millennials, we're all learning it right now that we're actually, we are aging into a new phase of existence that we've never been in before. And there's a new group that popped up beneath us that are where we used to be. And I think it's really fun. I think it's really cool. I think that's cool that that happens. I think in the past, when that has happened, maybe to other generations, they've gotten annoyed and been like, what do you mean? Like, wait, whatever, you know? And and so there's a lot of, like all those think pieces where, where boomers were always blaming millennials for things. And I think we got annoyed enough about it now. Like, we're just like, no, we're not going to be like that with Gen Z. And... So the tide, the thing, I think what's interesting is like things are turning, the tides are turning, like we're not going to turn away from, you know, kind of yammering at the boomers to leave us alone and then turn down towards Gen Z and treat them like they treated us. I would, I would hope I, I, we, there's a lot more discourse about how we shouldn't be doing that. Like most millennials that I know are like rooting for Gen Z. We're obsessed with them. We're, we're, we're huge fans (laughs) because we we know what it's like to be treated with disdain or like condescension from those above. If I ever see a millennial being like, yeah, I don't like Gen Z. I'm always like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, A, they're, they're fearless and they're so funny. And B, they're going to grow up in a world so much worse than we did. Like, like if things don't turn around, things are going to get so much harder for them. So of course they're a little sharper with us. But see, like, you know what it's like to be treated like that. You don't, you're, you're just repeating the, mis- the, the mistakes of the people we've watched do that to us, you know? So I always think it's weird. It's a big red flag for me if I see someone my age kind of yammer at Gen Z, like, Gen Z. Like, I love them. I think they're great. But as a millennial, I do think that we're very unique in this way that there's more generational awareness because of social media and we are the first generation to grow up on the internet from before it existed in every home to now where it is literally on every device we have. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I'm not the first to talk about this, but it's just very interesting interacting with Gen Z daily and kind of watching that space and understanding where I stand as a millennial and just seeing how socially it's it's evolving. Kids see us now as like too old for the internet. Like we're too old for social media. But the truth is we we like walked on these sites so that they could run with these new apps that like some of us will never understand. You know, like like I was on Live Journal in 2004. <laughs> I had a MySpace. I had a Zanga. You know, um, I had Facebook within the first year or two years that it existed. And I was on every other social media app before Gen Z was. The first one, when I knew the tides were turning, was when TikTok existed and I didn't know what it was. And Gen Z was the first group on that 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 platform. And I was like, oh, okay, this is their thing. And this is the new, this is the new generational 
like divide which was cool like I was just like these kids are so talented they're so savvy about editing and they're so fearless to put themselves out there in a way that like those of us who used to you know record on like maybe a cassette tape as children you know and show it to no one that was me um like could never put themselves out there it's it's just really interesting to me millennials actually like paved a path in front of ourselves at first because we were the first generation to be online and so like like through every single new phase of our lives we're still going to be paving that road for the first time like we were on the internet first we were on social media first and then like the older generations got on after they were afraid of it for a while and then we were on it first because the younger generations were like not born yet so we really are like moving forward on a path that's unilluminated for us even as we enter this new phase this next phase of of our life where we're the not not as cool generation anymore because there's a new younger generation who's you know deciding what's cool we are still paving that that space in front of us as the people who've been on social media for 20 years you know what i mean where it's like they think we're too old for the internet and i'm like we're not we we invented it like we invented being on the internet i was on tumblr in 2010 i was there when the old magic was created so like to be told in my own house like "Ooh, it's weird that you have a social media by younger generations the reason they feel that way is because they only we as a society only understand social media as a young person's thing because we used to be the young people who were on it well now we're still on it and we're growing and we're continuing to be on it and we don't grow out of it. This is just the life. This is just life. And so it's really interesting to me to to kind of keep moving forward. We're like, well, now we're now we're the those in our late thirties were on social media, and now there's going to have to be multiple spaces. There's not just a space for young people who decide what is cool. There's that now, but also a space for us weird old millennials. <laughs> um, so we're growing past the phase. We're no longer the young gen, but we're still online and. We're the first group of people to be online at our age who were also on online at our younger ages. So it's just like a weird dichotomy. It's like a weird, you know, push and pull. And I, I feel like it's a rite of passage for every generation to kind of get roasted um, by the generation before them. But I'm not trying to roast Gen Z, but Gen Z is trying to roast us. So <laughs> I feel like millennials like stopped they, they stopped looking up at the boomers and being like, leave us alone and turn to Gen Z and be like, hey, guys. And they're kind of getting on us, too. So at every time we turn, we're like, well, dang, we're getting it from all all sides. And it doesn't feel good. But I will say, and this is my perception. It's not necessarily true across the board. But I will say I'm not down with... Um, I'm just not down with ever being on Gen Z's case. I do hope that they remember where they came from. Like we're cringe, but we are free millennials. <laughs> like that's that's millennials, you know. And and it's cool. Like y'all can y'all can roast us for being old and cringe, but I hope that you understand we're on your side. We love you. I know I do, and I I am so excited to see how Gen Z develop more into this world, and they're gonna change it and make it great. And I hope the generational like 
backlash from an older generation to the lower can stop with millennials. If we have to take it from both sides, that sounded slightly sexual. I didn't mean it that way. But (laughs) if we have to to be roasted by the older and the younger in order for the tides to turn, I think we can take it. I think millennials have taken on a lot in a lot of the events of our society in the last few decades. Our entire life has been kind of focused on terrifying events. I think we can handle being roasted by two different generations at a time if it means that we stop that at some point and like we just absorb that, you know, and then we can all be at peace maybe from here on out. Like that that will be my dream. <laughs> the final thing I'm going to talk about cuz this thing is already way too long. But it's been a fun week, I guess, despite the fact that um I've had a cold. Uh, the new season of Love is Blind has dropped on Netflix. I am not a reality show person usually, but for some reason, the Netflix reality shows really got me. They really get me. So I'm super down with the new Love is Blind season. The first six episodes dropped on Valentine's Day, which was Wednesday. I have finally finished all of them and I won't spoil anything, but it is it is full of audacity, I will say. There's a lot of audaciousness this season. I'm so interested to see where some of these things continue. So far, it's much more interesting than last season. Last season, I think they ended up with like only like maybe one or two couples getting engaged. And already, there's at least twice as many, if not more. And so it's been a little bit more fruitful. And when I say fruitful, I don't mean like it's going to be more successful. It's just like way more drama, like so much more drama, which is fun. That's all I've got for you for the week of February 17th. Recapping from the Super Bowl to today. And I will have a little bit more for you guys next week. Hopefully we'll have a little less heavy news and a lot more fun. Until then, have a great week. See you next time.